It takes real precision and work to build someone as incredible as you. Okay, that's good. But the work's not done. There's a master creator who wants to continue to do a good work in you and help you become the person you long to be. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a purpose for our lives. Welcome to Anchor Points, a program produced by Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church of Frederick, Maryland. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more at fredericksdachurch.org. Today, Robert Quintana reveals a side of God you may have never seen or realized before. A side of Him that gives more than you could ever dream so that you can be made into His likeness. In part one of his message, How It's Made. So has anyone wondered recently uh, why planet Earth uh, seems to be in so much turmoil? I mean, as you look around, doesn't it just seem like it's chaos everywhere we look, wherever you turn? I mean, you look statistically, uh, divorce is up, suicide is up, depression is up, and you wonder about these famine-stricken areas. Uh, You look at the conflict that's all around us. Um, You think, what is going on? You know, when the disciples asked Jesus, uh, can you give us a sign of the end of time? What's it going to look like? One of the things that Jesus said to them was that the love of many will grow cold. Some versions say that the, the love of many will wax cold. And we see that happening before our very eyes. And I mean, you look around and it's just like, it's just crazy. Why is that? That the love of many is growing cold. I think that today we're going to discover why. We're going to look at a parable in the book of Matthew that isn't blatant. It doesn't tell you right up front But when you read between the lines, when you look deep into this parable, you will see that the underlining theme, the undercurrent, is the reason why the love of many, I believe, is growing cold. But before we go to Matthew, I want to ask you a question. Has anyone here ever seen... Um, how it's made. I think it's on the Discovery Channel. How many of you like that show, How It's Made? I really encourage you guys to, to watch this show. This is like one of the few shows that you can get the family together and you can watch this show together. It's informative. It's fun. And, and they take, you know, objects or, you know, products that people write in and say, how do they make this? And then they have an episode where they will explain how they make it. And so there's all kinds of stuff like bicycles and crowns and and mirrors and all sorts of things. I am always fascinated by the intricacies and the technology that goes into making these products. You know that the Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. 
That God knew us before we were even formed. He knew our substance. It says that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. We were created in the image of God. In the image of God, both male and female were created. We were created in his image. And so I am fascinated by these by these objects that they create, by all this production that takes place and the precision that goes into all of this. But I am reminded that we were fearfully and wonderfully made and that there is a purpose for our lives. I want to read to you how Augustine puts it. He says, men go abroad to wander at the height of mountains the huge waves of the sea, the long course of rivers, the vast compass of the ocean, the circular motion of the stars, but they pass by themselves and don't even notice. We were fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a purpose for your life. There is a purpose for my life. And I fear that we are living in a day and age where we are not living out that purpose. Instead, we are allowing the love to grow cold. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21. Maybe you've read this parable before. Maybe it is new to you. Um, But it's a very interesting parable The story really begins with verse 18, where it says, Now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. It's pretty interesting here to me that Jesus takes offense at the fact that this tree is not producing fruit, that it is not yielding its fruit, that it is not giving up its fruit, that it is not surrendering its fruit, and he gets upset. And and the, the, the underlying theme in the parable that we're going to read, starting here in verse 33, is really the underlying theme that starts here with verse 18. And so here Jesus comes to the city. He finds himself near the temple, maybe in the temple. He's talking to the religious leaders, to the Sanhedrin, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees. He's talking to those men of authority. Now, there were other people listening as well, but he was primarily speaking to them. And so here in verse 33, it says, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. Now we're going to go back and we're going to look at what these things mean, but I want to point out to you before we do that did you realize that the vine dressers own nothing? Do you realize that the the landowner, the master, owns everything in this story? He owns the property. He owns the the vineyard. He owns the the vine vine press. He owns the, the hedge. He owns the tower. He owns everything. 
And see, this is where we now start butting heads with this story. You see, because there is something within us called self. And there is something within us that says, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What do you mean God owns everything? I own a few things, don't I? Wait a second, God. I worked hard for that. That belongs to me. Could it be that this is why the love of many is growing cold? There are some principles here that we need to catch on to. You see, because we weren't created to own anything. We were created in the image of God. And as you will see, as this story unfolds, we were created for something much bigger, for something much greater. But I wanted to point this out to you that in this parable, we don't own anything. God is the master of everything. Everything that you own, everything that you have, it is not yours. God has given it to you. Well, let's go back. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. Most everyone agrees that the hedge that Jesus is talking about here are the commandments or the rules that he had given Israel. Now, let me use this example to help you understand this. Uh, You know what a hedge is. A hedge is like a fence or a barrier, something to protect the inside from the outside. And most scholars would agree that the hedge that Jesus is talking about here is his word, is the scriptures, is, is the commandments, is his rules. You see, because his commandments and his rules for us isn't intended to be a burden on us, which a lot of times that's how we view it or that's how sometimes we experience it, but that's not God's intent. No, his commandments and his rules are there to protect us. I remember going to the beach once and there was a sign that says, do not swim, heavy undercurrent. You know, that sign, that rule is not there. That command is not there to put a burden on me. It is there to protect me. Maybe you've seen a sign that says, shark infested water, do not swim. Is that there to burden you? Absolutely not. No, that is there to protect you. Is it not? Now, you can swim at your own risk. I don't know why you would. But the truth is, we do it every day of our lives. God puts out these signs for us to protect us, to show us the way. And we look at those signs and we say, you know, I think I have a better plan. You know, I don't think God really knows what he's talking about. You know, I'm going to do things my way. And when you look at the history of Israel, they did that quite often. God would send them a prophet The prophet or the messenger would say, this is how you need to live your life. This is God's truth and God's ideal for your life. And they would say, you know what? We're going to follow the dictates of our own evil hearts. We don't care about what you say. And they would stone or kill or they would throw the prophet out of the city and say, we don't want to hear you. But the hedge, his laws, his, his rules, they're not there to burden us. They're there to protect us. And so that's what Jesus means when he says that he set a hedge around them. He dug a wine press. Have you ever seen a wine press? 
You know what a wine press looks like. You can YouTube this and you can see people having fun as they're stomping on grapes. Well, back then it was somewhat of a, of a cement vat where they would throw all the grapes in and then people would, hopefully they would clean their feet before going into the vat, but they would go in and they would just stomp on the grapes. And they would stomp on the grapes for minutes, you know, on end and pretty soon that, that grape would release its juice and then there was a little funnel at the bottom of that which would release the juice and go into a container and then obviously would be purified and go through the process and you would have fresh grape juice, right? What is that significant of? What, what is that all about, right? Here God is saying as the landowner, as the, as the master of this of this creation of mine, I have given them everything they need to be successful. I have given them the gifts and the, and the resources that they need to be successful. I mean, if you think about what a vine press represented back then, it, it represented prosperity, it represented nourishment, it, it represented not only would it sustain the community within, but they would be able to sell it to other communities outside. And so it was able to sustain not only their community, but abroad. And so here God is saying, listen, I have given you everything that you need to be successful. As the body of Christ, as a community of Christ, when you come together, you will have everything that you need to press on and make it and finish the race. So he has given us everything that we need. And then it says here, and he built a tower. Now we can visualize a tower. We kind of know what a tower is, right? A, a tower set up to watch out for the enemies, to sound the alarm when the enemy is close. And God says to us here in this, you are not alone. I will protect you, I will watch over you, I will sound the alarm, and you will know when you need to saddle up. You will know when you need to bunker down. I will let you know when there is danger around, and I will help you and see you through that. It says here that he leased it to the vine dressers. Did you notice? Nothing belongs to the vine dressers. Everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to him, and he went into a far country. Now, don't let that discourage you. You know, don't think, oh, my goodness, see, God's gone. He's far away. He doesn't care. No, no. He knows what's going on in your life right now, and he cares, and he's there to help, okay? Verse 34, now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. Interesting, is it not? So now the vine dressers have been working all this time, and now that it's time to yield the fruit of their labor, the master sends the servant to collect that. Now, some of you might have an issue with this. See, some of you might say, you know, that's so like God. He's always wanting. He's always taking. We're going to explain that a little bit more here in a few minutes. But just keep in mind that God has given you everything already. God has given you everything that you need already. So it's not like he's taking something that he hasn't already given you. 
But this is what happens. In verse 35, it says, And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another. And here, very craftily, very smoothly, Jesus now is telling those that, that are listening to him, referring back to Old Testament times, what they had done with the prophets, with the messengers that God has sent to instruct and, and to lead. And so he's saying to them in a roundabout way, listen, this is what you did with the prophets, with the messengers that I sent. Verse 36, again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. The last of all, he sent his son to them. Now, wow, time out. Okay, I can see maybe the servants, right? But the son? So, so we're, we're saying that the landowner, the master here loves these people so much that after all of this, he sends them his son. And well, what happens? In verse 38, listen to this crazy logic. It says, but when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, now he's asking the question, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those vine dressers? Now, you have to think, I mean, we have the privilege of maybe having read this already. We have the privilege of kind of reading along, of reading ahead of the pastor. But can you imagine hearing this story for the very first time? And you're captivated by what Jesus is saying. And the whole time you're thinking, well, that's not right. Well, that's not fair. Why would the the vine dressers do such a thing? And maybe they were thinking, if I was the master and I had hired and I had given all of this to the vine dressers and I sent my servants and then I sent my son to them and they killed them. And then Jesus says, what would you do? And he set them up, did he not? Because they passed judgment on themselves with their response. And their response in verse 41 is they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their season. And so they pass judgment unknowingly on themselves because Jesus, in a roundabout way, kind of described to them their actions, describe to them the grace and mercy and the providence of God in this parable. And then he says to them, what do you think the master should do? And they say, well, of course, destroy those wicked vine dressers, get new ones and and lease the property to, to someone else. I don't know if you caught it or not. It might be a little difficult to see. But maybe you did if you were reading between the lines, if you were trying to look deep at the principles of this parable, do you not see what's going on? It's a battle that's going on between rebellion and surrender. On the one hand, you have the vine dressers that say, we want to do things our way. We are rebelling against what the master or the landowner is expecting of us. 
instead of living a life of surrender. A life that says, I surrender everything to my master. I surrender everything to my landowner. Whatever it is that he wants, if he wants it all, I will give it all back to him. Did you notice the word back to him? You see, because a lot of times in our relationship with God, we think that it's a one-way street. We think that we're always giving. We're giving, we're giving, and God, where are you? You never show up. What we need to realize that if it's ever a one-way street, it is God giving to us and us living in a spirit of rebellion. Now, this might sound a little strange to you, but yes, God does surrender to us. And what he asks in return is for us to surrender to him. Now, I know that might sound a little bit strange to think that God Almighty surrenders to us. But think about it for just one second. God gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. He is constantly surrendering of himself to us. And all he asks in return is for us to give back and to surrender back to him. If it is ever a one-way street, it is when we are living in a spirit of rebellion. But God's ideal for us, his truth, his ideal for your life and for my life is that we are in a relationship of constant surrendering to each other. Where he is giving to us and then we are giving back to him. Where he gives us everything and then we give him in return everything. We were made to live in a relationship where there is a constant giving, a constant surrendering, where God gives to us and we in turn give back to him. It's a principle that's a little difficult to understand. And I can only share it with you this way. Personally, that when I live a life of surrender, somehow, some way, I have the strength that I need to make it through my day. When I live a life of surrender, I have peace in my life that surpasses all understanding. I'm telling you that when I live a life of surrender, I have the confidence. I have the resources. I have the peace of mind. I have the happiness and the joy that I need to live the kind of life that God wants for me. I came across this story uh, this week that I think illustrates this point very well. It's a true story. I'm just going to read it to you. This is based on an actual radio conversation between a U.S. Navy aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln, and Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995. In parentheses, it says the radio conversation was released by the Chief of Naval Operations on October 10, 95, authorized by the Freedom of Information Act. And here is the communication that took place. Canadians... Please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. Americans, uh, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid collision. 
Canadians, negative. You will have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid collision. Americans, this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. Canadians, no. I say again, you divert your course. Americans, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. I say again, that's one five degrees north or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadians, this is a lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) My friends, there are truths and there are ideals that God has for us that's bigger than us that's beyond our comprehension and the only way that we're going to realize his purpose for our lives is to surrender anchor points with robert quintana is a ministry of the frederick seventh day adventist church of frederick maryland if you enjoyed this message feel free to share it with a friend you can subscribe to our podcast on itunes or at frederick You were made to love. And next week, Robert Quintana breaks down piece by piece the elements that make you that way and gives you the tools to help you restore love the way it was made to be as he shares part two of how it's made. Also, if you're wanting to learn more about how to begin a life change or just wanting more answers, we'd love to talk with you. Feel free to visit us online and check out some of our resources at fredericksdachurch.org. You can also call us during the week at 301-662-5254. We're located right between I-70 and Route 15 on Jefferson Pike. Our main service takes place Saturdays at 11 a.m., and we'd love for you to join us sometime. Remember, God loves you and wants you to live out His purpose.